Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and my co-host, Matt Scott, is also with me today at the Overland Expo in Flagstaff. And we spend time interviewing Clay Croft. Clay's been on the podcast several times, and he's always a joy to have because he has so many insights on these incredible expeditions that he's conducted around the world. We go into a deep dive on his trip, the Nordic series that has taken him through Norway and many parts of Scandinavia, the Faroe Islands, and ultimately into Iceland. That series is just wrapping up. We learned about the things that worked well and didn't work so well, some of his lessons that he took away from the expedition. And then we also do a big discussion around his next trip. So we kind of announce his Africa expedition that's coming up, where he's going to be taking a Sequoia and a couple other vehicles, and they're going to be traveling around Southern Africa. We have a great conversation with Clay. He always has tons of insights on vehicle preparation, expeditions, and just traveling as a family. So please enjoy our conversation with Clay Croft. And a special thanks to Rocky Talkies for their support of this week's podcast. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team in Denver. The radios are extremely rugged, easy to use, and compact, weighing in at just under eight ounces. They have a range of one to five miles in the mountains and up to 25 miles line of sight. The batteries will last from three to five days, and you can recharge them easily via USB-C right in the vehicle. Our team uses Rocky Talkies, and we also used them recently at the Overland Expo. The next Overland Expo, stop into our booth and say hello and check out the radios for yourself. And as a listener of the Overland Journal podcast, you can get 10% off a pair by going to rockytalkie.com forward slash Overland Journal. Thanks again, Rocky Talkie. So guys, we're here with Clay Croft from Expedition Overland, and we're going to talk about the Nordic series that is now completely out on the Overlander network. Yeah. And and we're also going to dive into what's next That's for right. the Expedition Overland crew. Mm-hmm. Clay, thanks mm. so much, as always, for being on the podcast. Heck man. yeah. You're, you're such a great guest and such a wonderful friend. It's been so good for us to all experience this together. And you guys are at close to 15 years, aren't you? Yeah, let's see. This is 14 years. Yeah. Right now. And yeah. we, we just celebrated 20 years wow. in February. Matt, so congratulations. It's just, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> well, just now it just makes me feel old. Ah, uh, and it makes you realize how short life is. Yeah. Like it is just going by fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. To think that, you know, Expeditions West started 20 years ago. A major inspiration a long, of mine. Long, oh, thank you. Mine yeah. too. Yeah. My, so my overloaded crazy. Tacoma. <laughs> yeah. Which is okay. I know. It, it worked out. It, it, the thing didn't care. Yeah. yeah so. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. Here you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we would love to talk to you about your Nordic series, but more about what were the highlights? What were the places that you went that you would recommend those that are listening mm-hmm. consider going to? Yeah. So we did, I'll just give you an overview of what what the trip was like. So we left, uh, let's see, we got there in late July and worked all the way through almost October 1st. So we were yeah. gone for, uh, I think the total time was 59 days and 12 hours, sure. something like that of traveling. And we shipped into Belgium and then we drove north to Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, back to Denmark, onto the Faroe Islands, yeah, I'm and so then glad into you Iceland. Got a chance to do yeah. the Faroe Islands, man, that was very yeah, special. I'm super excited for the Faroe Islands. Yeah, so yeah that's the episode I haven't seen. So it's, it's going to be the next Iceland for a lot of people. Oh I think. yeah, yeah, but it's and, not that big, right? Oh, it's I mean, super small. I've had so yeah. many friends that that have watched the series, and they're like, "Hey, Matt." 
let's go to the Faroe Islands. I want to go. When are we going? Yeah. Like, okay, let's go. Yeah. I, I ran into one guy who had been there two and a half weeks and he's like, yeah, I'm ready to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, and, and there are people that live there full time. Oh yeah. There's what an amazing place island. to go to yeah. because their government's been in place for a thousand years. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and it's divided up by the villages over the hill. They would have to back in the day, like have to have people go to the next village over to, to get married. Yeah. You know, and that was like oh, a big such deal. A small population. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing place. And the yeah, people were fantastic. Kids with three eyes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're not careful. Yeah, exactly. And th- I mean, they've had kings and all kinds of stuff. This is yeah. an amazing place. And so, now it's a territory of Denmark, right? Or are they That's a good own? question. Yes, you're right. I should know that. I've been there. But we'll put, I think it's another one of their autonomous. Yeah. Kind of like Greenland is, where it's mm-hmm. they get help. That is correct. It's all country, up. but they're but they're a little more autonomous. Yeah, yeah, and they've they've been autonomous. Uh, they're, I guess, I mean, for centuries. So there is a bit of the a contesting to all of that, yeah. you know, due to the you know freedoms and stuff. It's very interesting to hear all of the uh, political, I guess, ideologies that were going on with how it all works. Because there's great blessings from it, and then there's struggles too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a very very small place. Like yeah. you can drive anywhere within two hours. Yeah, sure. Like you cross the island back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all yeah. the time. It's no big deal. And what was the primary language spoken there? Faroese. Faroese. Yeah. I did not Which know. Which is that. a, that a thing. I did not it's a, a dialect of the Vikings. <laughs> okay. And uh, Faroese can understand Icelandics and they can also understand a bit of Danish. Oh, sure. With their language. Yeah. But Icelandics cannot understand Danish. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they're right in the middle of this. Got it. So as as the adventurers, the explorers, the Vikings were, moved their way across the ocean yeah. there, they hit the Faroes first. Shetland Islands, Faroes, then onto the Iceland. And it just developed this amazing language. Do they also really speak fun annoyingly to. good English? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, like there is a, there's a saying in Iceland that says the trash truck driver speaks English. I mean, it's... And they do. It's true. The other thing that I find totally fascinating about ice, there's many things to be fascinated about the Icelandic people, but that they have like a 97% literacy rate, which is the highest in the world. Like they have, like it would have to be developmentally disabled individual that was not literate. Literate. So so everyone is literate. Yeah. That can be. Iceland is an amazing place. It's the first time I I was there for like two days on our way to Greenland that one time. Yeah. But uh, I stayed in a hotel and I slept and I made sure that I was ready to go for the Greenland expedition. You know, I wasn't doing anything else. I didn't travel. Uh, So this was really my first time to go there and experience it. And I'm blown away. I can't wait to go back to Iceland. You could spend a lot of time. Yeah, and it, it looks on a map, it looks very small. But if you want to go into the interior, you're not going any place quickly. Nope. You're pretty much, other than some, there are a few roads that go into the interior, like into Thinkfidla and those areas. But if you want to go into the interior, you're on dirt. You're on dirt the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And you do need a proper four-wheel drive to get in there. I mean, the Jimny is like the yeah. bottom baseline car that you could use. And even then, there's several places that chimneys were having to turn around and not be. And it's mostly the water crossings. Yeah, it is. The chimneys are just, they're, even though they're they're very, yeah, Yeah. they're very capable, but they're, they would get swept away. Yeah. Yeah. There's some deep stuff there. And a lot of people don't know this, but when you sign your rental agreement in Iceland, if you ford a river and you lose the car, you are not covered. It's on you. It's on you. And Mm -hmm. it's only specific to, like, you can try to climb up a glacier. You can do all the other stuff. 
But if you try to cross a river in Iceland and you lose the car in the river, it's on you. Wow. Always walk well, your water crossings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We helped turn a couple people around like, you should not do this. Yeah. You know, like here, here comes a Hilux, you know, like a uh, Torfi. Yeah. Johansson. And then he was with us for a time on 44 inch tires, six inch lift. He'd drive across that and you see this big truck come across the river crossing and then the guy across the way was like maybe i could do that too no 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 (laughs) this is a totally different thing yeah that the door handle is at your shoulder on that truck don't drive your jimney in there (laughs) yeah totally i guess since since we're on iceland what was the your couple kind of most favorite moments in iceland let's see i loved learning how to travel iceland so you don't just pick your you could you could just pick the destinations that you want to go to and just systematically hit them but there's a game you play in Iceland, and it's it's all based around the weather. Mm. So uh, the weather is, in its own microclimate, very different from one side of the island to the other, and to the north and to the south. And so you're constantly monitoring what's happening, and you're racing towards the good weather. Because you can be a nice sunny spot in this little canyon, in this little nook of Iceland, and the rest of it is rained out. Yeah, sure. So you're just chasing the good weather. And that's what we did. That's what Torfi taught us to do. And we had all, we were there for three weeks and I think we maybe had five days of rain. I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah, sure. Also back to the Pharaohs real quick. We, we were there for six and a half days. Because you waited for the next ferry. Yeah. It only got off. Yeah, that's right. Once a week. They have like 340 days of rain. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So the, what we got there was like unreal. Yeah. It was, so you got it was divine that yeah, wow. we were there for six days and only had one night of rain. Wow. It was spectacular. And what month were you there? Uh, that was September. September. And is that mm-hmm. typical for September? Like, like, is like that's your, your, that best your best chance? chance? I don't know. That's a good. Oh, uh, it's if it's 300 yeah. and what? You said 340? Yeah. It's like crazy oh, yeah. high. Mean, and there was rain throughout, you know, but it would like come and go and be gone. We had sun. Yeah. So, I mean, while we're on the Pharaohs, I mean, it, it is it is an accomplishment to get a vehicle there. You have to get, yeah. if you're, if you're going to ship your vehicle from America or wherever, it has to go to go to mainland Europe. Mm-hmm. And then does it, do you leave out of the Netherlands or do you yeah, leave out of Denmark? Leave out of Herschel's Denmark. Okay. And then it, it's a ferry that takes you to Iceland. What, but do you think it's, you think it's worth, like for Americans that want to see the Faroe Islands, like, would you, I mean, can you just rent cars there? How, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, if you, if you really want to just go see the Faroe Islands, the way to get there would be to fly into them, rent a car. Once you have a car in the Faroes, they're not really built for eco travel with vehicle-based travel. Yeah. There's like, we were camping on soccer fields and stuff. Okay. Yeah. There's just, and the, there is a camper van presence there, but they were also parked on the soccer field. You know, mm. so there's just, they're very new to tourism. 10 years really is all they've been open for this. So rent a house, rent a car. Yeah. And uh, I guess it since it's so just, small, just travel around and yeah. see it. But if you already have your vehicle there, it sounds like it's definitely doable. It's totally doable. Yeah. yeah and it's a stop along, yeah. along the ferry it, route. It is worth it. It is worth it. And then how long did that ferry take from Denmark to the Faroes? Uh, that was two nights. Two nights. Okay. So minutes. And you're primarily going, what, northwest? North, northwest? North. It's more like west, northwest. Yeah. Okay. The seas were good. It wasn't anything to shake a stick at, as you Was say. it pretty full? Was the ferry pretty full? It was. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, yeah. And they're only running one, and they used to run it more. So, But it, I think it's ramping up now. You yeah. Know, Post-COVID, things are still yeah, sure. turning back on. A lot of people will... Stop there for just the afternoon while the boat's there. It's called the Nerona. Nerona. Yeah, MV Nerona. Yeah, great ship to travel on. It's the nicest ferry I've ever been on. Like it beats the Alaska Maritime Highway 
it's like twice as nice as that. Wow. It was awesome. So you have your own little stateroom. And-, and, and I don't think you can camp on a, it's not like the Alaska highway where you can camp on the deck or anything. Like yeah. That. No, yeah it's, you, this is just, you get a, this is huge open water and you're yeah. inside. Interesting. So, you know, I think one of the things I've learned from my travels and uh, not necessarily Faroe Islands and not call Iceland or, or whatever, you know, Nordic countries are very, very expensive. Yes. So what was it like when you were on the Faroe Islands? Obviously, it's so remote. Everything has to come in by boat or yep. by plane. Was fuel available mm-hmm. uh, insanely expensive? Uh, it didn't seem, I don't remember the exact prices, but it didn't seem to be any more than like what it was in Iceland or because okay. they're using all the same. Yeah, uh, it's just shipping a stopover. Lanes. Yeah. Okay. And the Faroes run off of diesel. That's how they power their islands. So huh. I mean, I guess with that much. There's diesel coming in like crazy. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no real reality of solar or no. anything like that. And wind, they're in a, you the, know, the it's a very microclimate. They have to run on. Yeah. And they do have like hydropower systems, but it's mostly yeah. like 80% of their electricity comes from generators. Whereas Iceland is able to generate so much power from all the thermo all effects. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really fascinating. And then how many days was the ferry from the Faroes to Iceland? So that's just an overnight. So you get on in the morning and then you're on it throughout the day, then overnight. And then by morning, about 8 a.m., you were arriving in Iceland. Yeah. So where did it come shorter. in? Where did it come into? Okay. The words are hard. But it comes in. Does it come in on the eastern side of the country? It comes in on the northeastern side. Oh, got it. Okay. All right. So we had Ashley fly in and our guy Tanner. And they flew into Reykjavik and then took us a puddle jumper over the top of the island to meet us up there. Sure, sure. Yeah. Perfect. So we started up there. And in Iceland, did you kind of do the the whole ring road around or? So, yeah, in Iceland, there's a road called, is it the one? Yeah. I think they call it the one, but it's the ring road. And it was built in the 90s. Uh, it, it hasn't been around so for that long. Recent. And it, it circumnavigates, kind of goes all the way around the island. And you can you can drive it in like what? 12 hours, uh, 18 hours. Maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I, I took almost a week to go around it. Yeah. If but, you're, if you're, like, if you're just a motor, it, it's probably, yeah. Yeah, probably. It's two lane. It's all the way around the Island. And then, so you can, you can picture it. There's this pavement road that goes all the way around the Island. And then that's kind of your access point. From there, you can go in to the F roads, which ultimately is shorthand for mountain roads. And, and then you go travel the inland and that's where all of like the amazing Really amazing stuff oh, yeah. is away from all the people. Everyone stays on the ring road, but if you want to like go have your experience in Iceland by yourself, you got to get into the the interior on the glaciers if you can. Did you guys get a chance to do any glacial we glacial didn't, travel? We didn't. Uh, I yeah. I vowed to come back and do some of that. Yeah, I think it'd be. I'll worth go. It. So it would be amazing. <laughs> so it, it, what's really cool about uh, Iceland is in the summer they're very they have very strict travel restrictions on their F roads. Like if you travel off the F road. It's like a two or three five thousand dollar fine. It's it's rightly so because the amount of rental cars and people that are just driving around this place uh, it has to be very strict. Yep. Yeah. And it's kept it pristine. And you can tell where back in the day when other people were just allowed to drive anywhere through because it's just all lava gravel fields. Yeah. There's road tracks that are twenty years old that are still seen in the in yeah. the landscape. So you can see why they did it. But then come winter, as soon as you can turn a tire without disturbing the surface, pretty much the whole interior of Iceland becomes free, free that's game. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Which fun. is awesome. Hence why everybody's got the big tires. Yeah. That's where it comes from. It's not during the summer. It's for the winter, for the flotation, so they can explore the whole island. 
And then that's when we should get up into the glaciers. Yeah. It's pretty fun. And spring is a great time because you start to get light, but there's so much snow still on the interior that you can travel anywhere you want. And then it still gets just dark enough at night that you can still see the aurora. So it's, I find that, I mean, in fact, I've only traveled in Iceland in the spring, once in January and then two other times in early spring. And that's when you can cross the glaciers. The glaciers are still firm enough. Mm -hmm. The nights are cold enough where you're not getting the really slushy snow. Yeah. And you can go across Vatna Yokel, which take day, it takes days to cross yeah. it. It's the I, biggest glacier in all of Europe. Yeah, it's 3,000 square miles. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and we learned that from our trips in Greenland. That yeah. that, that time of year, the, the snow has been the deepest. It's mm -hmm. been allowed to accumulate throughout the whole yeah. winter. And then, yeah, it's cold enough that it's all firm. It's the safest time to be there. We should make a plan to get out there sometime. Yeah. Now, yeah. Iceland's very special. Yeah. And even even the cities are great. Like, did you guys spend some time in Akureyri in the north? And We we didn't. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, we had limited time shooting the best movie we possibly could. So sure. We were, we were really out there as much as possible. Sure. Out so, remote. Out remote, which is where we wanted to be because we had just been in mainland Europe. Sure. In Scandinavia there and the, in the Nordic countries. And it, so it was a juxtaposing location because you went from a very, very populated, very tame yeah. place of Europe. And then you, we were like all itching to be out in the middle of nowhere with nobody around. Sure. Yeah. By the time, you know, five weeks in. Yeah, totally. You know, that's not to say that the first half of, of the trip in mainland uh, Scandinavia wasn't awesome. It was fantastic. Like I would go back and travel there any day, anytime. My favorite place was probably Norway. Mm -hmm. Just being just able to travel Norway just beautiful. is unreal. Yeah, it is just beautiful. unreal. And um, even though you can't really off-road there, in fact, they have very strict rules yeah. around it, you almost don't need to because it's so beautiful. I felt the same way. Yeah. Everything is spectacular. Yeah. Sweden, we didn't spend a lot more time in Sweden. I kind of rode off Sweden a little bit when I was, we were traveling uh, Trans-European Trail, which is really, I've had discussions with that organization since, by the way, and we just need to specify that that's really for two-wheel mm. track. We utilized, you know, the roads that we used are the roads that everyone uses to get to their houses and their log cabins and stuff because it's all full of, everybody has their cabin on the lake. Yeah, sure. 10,000 lakes in sure. Sweden mm. and Finland. So we, we utilized that place, but it wasn't until we got into lower Southern Sweden that I was like, oh, okay. I feel like I missed out on something here. Yeah. I need to go back and check this out. There's there's more to it here. And there is definitely off-highway travel available in Finland. Yeah. And did you guys get a chance to do some full driving there? We did. Yeah, we did some. Uh, we traveled along the Russian border for a while of Finland, yeah. which is really fun and exciting and, yeah. and uh, just interesting, especially due to current political scenarios going sure. on around the world. and just to hear all kinds of different perspectives and be along the Russian border at the same time all this stuff was happening. It's very interesting. One of the things that I remember is I was middle of nowhere in Finland and I'm driving along this two lane road. And then all of a sudden it became like an eight lane highway for, really? for like 10 miles, maybe, maybe five miles. And then it went back to a two lane road. And I'm like, I researched it because it was the weirdest thing. Yeah. And I researched it and that those are like improvised runways. Oh, gotcha. So they just use the road and then they turn it. They just create this huge concrete. I've runway. seen that in Australia and, and in Africa before. In so, it, but it's there for, yeah. for 
defense. Okay. Because it was fairly close to the Russian border. Yeah. I also I didn't come across one of her for planes that now fly over the poles, if that's also part of an emergency. Oh, it could be. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could be defense first. And, yeah. We traveled all the way up to the north. I'm fascinated by the Arctic regions, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, so anytime you can get above the Arctic Circle, I just, I love it up there. There's just some magic to it. The feeling it's of it. It's just so different. Like kind of. Yeah. Totally. The, the sun doesn't, light doesn't look the same. Yeah. It doesn't. I was yeah. going to say it's the same thing. Like there's something about the light. We're all photographers. So you're yeah. always studying the light. Like what's it doing? Like even here, the, like the light is thick here in Flagstaff. You're like, but up there is almost like this thin, wispy, wispy feeling to the light. Highly ethereal. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's kind of magical. I want to go to the Arctic when it's cold. It was over 90 degrees every day that I was in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's weird. Bad. That's, well, but it, I've you, never experienced that. It could be, it could happen though. I mean, if you think about it, it's just the sun never shuts off. Never so it's just going to yeah. keep heating. Then everything heat soaks. It does get, yeah. Anyways, if you want to hear me complain about that, <laughs> listen to the Alaska episode. And a special thanks to Onyx Off-Road for helping to support this week's podcast. Going further on your adventures is about having the right tools. The Onyx Off-Road app's intuitive maps make it easy to find trails and disperse camping. And their offline maps give you full GPS navigation capability without cell coverage. I'm also really excited about their new route builder for planning and sharing custom trips. It's got a snap to trail tool where you can just drop points where you want to go and a route automatically connects to the closest road or trail. You can build, save, and add routes to folders and share your entire trip with your buddies. You can find out more information on onxmaps.com. You can also find their apps in the Apple Store or whatever other device that you use. Thanks again, Onyx. So then you made it up to Nordcap. Yep, Nordcap. And I wasn't sure. So Nordcap is the very top of... It's the farthest, furthest north you can, you can go in the, the world. On in the road, northern on hemisphere road, on a road. On a road. On yeah. A road. yeah, there's certainly places above yeah. it. But yeah, it's by boat or plane or helicopter that you would get there. Or, or like we did in Greenland, we drove Hiluxes up to it. Yeah. <laughs> so we were, we were almost 10 degrees further north latitude. Yeah, so technically we've been the furthest. <laughs> that wasn't on a road. <laughs> it was not on a road. But that's, so that's what Nordcap is, the furthest yeah. point north that you can drive on a road. And I had no idea. You know, you kind of, uh, it's just this dot on the map and you get there. You wonder if what will it will be like when you actually get there? Will it be as cool mm. as you think it is? And of course, it's touristy and has some stuff. It's very remote. It's not not really near anything. Not at all. Yeah. You got to drive up there. But uh, there are there just is something about these far places, these far dots that have magic to them as well. I think people that go there, it's it's real. They they, they have to have a, a reason. You know, they're, they're, mm. it's purposeful travel. Agreed. And historically, it says that that's true too. Because mm. when we got up there. I had no idea that there's like kings that have traveled there. There are deities of all kinds of like from all over the world have made their way to this point. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know. And they used to have to, it's right on this cliff edge, very, very steep cliff. And in the olden days before the road was ever there, they would take a ship out to it and then they would dock it. Then they'd row the people to the cliffs and they had fixed ropes and you had to climb the, the ropes, you know, it wasn't, Anything like Everest or anything like that. But, you know, you had to use the ropes to get to the top to stand where you can stand today. The kings would do that. Wow. This place has significance in history. And it feels that way. It feels wild. I mean, you do park in a parking lot and you go to the visitor center and all that. But then when you walk out from there to the point, they've done a pretty good job Mm -hmm. of making it feel wild. You just have that one 
you know, art installation with the globe yeah. there. You know, mm-hmm. it, it looks like Atlas is holding it up or something like that. Isn't yeah, it? it's like a tripod or something like yeah. that with a, glo- a metal globe on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when we were there, it was nasty. Yeah. And we were like, oh, man, it's too bad. It's just terrible weather. But it kind of actually made it very that, that kind of makes it cool in a way. It's it's an extreme place, and to experience yeah. it in extreme weather, trying to find the little positives and like, oh, uh, for no, sure. We and it was it. the same way when we were there. Yeah, it was totally socked in, nasty, nasty. See, I'm 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 really interested in Norway and Scandinavia. That's you know kind of I guess where my family came from, part of the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I want to do that as a grand touring trip, though. That's kind of my I think because from from what I understand, it's I mean it's very first world Norway perfect, high human perfect roads like perfect, perfect roads, roads that yeah. kind of thing. But like the bridges are amazing yeah. and the yeah. tunnels are amazing. And we counted eighty six tunnels. Yeah, wow. We went through eighty six wow. tunnels. And you think about the kind of money that Norway has to just be like we're going to build a tunnel like twelve miles across the oh, ocean. Oh, they have that. They have that fund <laughs> from <laughs> from all the oil exactly. And it's uh, their sovereign wealth fund. I think is like per capita. It's like, gigantic. Yeah, they're one of the few countries with no debt. No debt. Norway is an amazing place. Yeah, it's an unbelievable How was place. the camping? So wild, any any wild camping or are you more cool? Some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all kind of tucked away just right off the main road here. But there's, there's so much uh, geography to, yeah. to the place that you kind of just go around here and tuck in and, and you feel you're good. kind of you're, you're good you're by yourself i mean like some some nights were, were you in campsites that you kind of had to arrange like yeah often yeah i mean it's, it's europe it's I mean, kind of just to be expected yeah and yeah. the further south you are in norway the more you have to do that yeah because and a lot of times you want to because these campsites are at the end of the fjord on the water yeah and you go down and it's perfectly manicured grass but you have this view of like one of the most beautiful I, things I, in the I world really, i've really started <laughs> to change my opinion on I'm going to call them campgrounds mm. or you know even the occasional RV park sometimes it's just nice to know when you're going yeah. or where you're going where you're sleeping yeah. when you're gone for so long you know that that is a stressor so it's interesting that there are there are wild places that you can camp but I'm it's just part way. of that experience. Yeah. It's just they don't have off-road routes with remote camping, really. Yeah, we're really, so we're like really, really we're blessed that we're we fortunate get to do that in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously a lot of places in the world that you can do that, but I like the fact that it, you don't have to do that. It's like mm-hmm. overlanding, and I think that's interesting. Is that a lot of times people think that you have to be off-road and camping to be overlanding. Mm-hmm. You can actually completely remove both of those components and still overland around the world. You can. Stay in hostels, stay in lodges, stay in people's homes, and drive around the world without camping. And you could also drive around the world very easily without ever going onto a dirt road. <laughs> so, uh, and it wouldn't mean that you were any less of an overlander. So that's what I've, and in my, you know, comparatively limited experience in Africa to you, that's what I found there as well. Yeah. And maybe that's the segue. <laughs> we should, we, well, you found so, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like the idea of yeah. segueing, but we should. We should go through what were your takeaways from the trip? What were the things that worked great? Mm -hmm. What were the things that didn't work so well that you would do different? The things that worked great, three truck team, eight man team was good. Our camera work worked really good. On the technical side, everything seemed to work really well. Being able to live in camper systems uh, is definitely how you will thrive in those countries because uh, you can do it all. Everybody is living out of rooftop tents or ground tents or whatever. But the weather is so wild. You know, it's hot and cold and rainy, windy, all that. So having the ability to live in the trucks was really nice. Get a good night's sleep. Get a good night's sleep. Because otherwise it compounds. Yeah. So we we were gone for the eight weeks and we were 
thriving to the very end. We weren't exhausted when we went home. We yeah. were like, man, I feel like we keep going forever. Yeah. You know? So I think the truck choices and how they were built was really good. We were eating well, sleeping well, felt great. The travel there is extremely easy. You know, they, it's all open borders. You drive through them. Like you, you go to Norway, to Sweden, to Finland, like you go through Montana to Wyoming to Colorado. Right. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to it. You it's all Schengen agreement. Schengen, all open. Yep. Just move through easy. it. Easy. It's super easy. See a bunch of closed up border posts, you know. Yeah. It's just it. not. Hopefully they never need them again. Yes. Let's you hope know? so. I went in with the, I went into the Nor Norway, Finland, Sweden section knowing that it wasn't going to be a lot of off-road travel. Yeah. It wasn't going to be very. doesn't mean that it's not incredibly beautiful yeah. totally yeah. we had been warned about it you know by all kinds of people that, is, that travel there and so we we set the expectation that we're going here to really experience culture history and see the beauty of for what it is and just love being there in that part of the world and that was the best because we weren't like oh man there's just not enough dirt roads out here we weren't we yeah, never yeah, had that set you know? the expectation yeah, you knew yeah and we were we just loved it the whole time and we knew that by the time we got to iceland we'd have that it's yeah. coming, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so our trucks were definitely overbuilt for being in Norway and Europe there, but they were perfectly built by the time that we got to Iceland. Yeah, sure. We sure. could do anything we wanted. They weren't overbuilt for Iceland either. They were, I think the 35 inch tire was just right. The suspension was rad. The live in systems, because it was September when we we're in Iceland. Sure. It was getting cold. The heaters were nice, you know? Yeah. I think mm. overall, it was one of our best run expeditions yet. Nice. Yeah. What changes will you make for future trips that you learn from that one? The only thing that we've done uh, internally is we've gone back down to a seven-man team going into the Africa trip, mm-hmm. which will leave room for a guide. Having Torfi in Iceland was remarkable. Yeah, it so makes a huge difference. I definitely want to have more local people travel with us more often. I, I think like that's I've really probably, cool. Probably missing out by not having someone local. And I remember when we went through Russia with E7, we had uh, Andre. Andre with us. And that was the first time that I traveled anywhere that had, you know, a fixer or a guide with us. And it, Russia required a, him to be with us, right? It did not require. Oh, did not? oh no. But I, that was a requirement that I had. It was okay. like, I told, yeah. I told the rest of the team, I'm like, we're not going across Russia with it. Because they just don't have a lot of English speakers. Yeah, totally and it makes right it, move. It makes it very, very challenging. It doesn't mean you can't do it. Sure. But it, it made it uh, a lot more enjoyable because we could communicate with people. Yeah. We had That's a translator. Bridge. We had a translator right. that we can communicate with the locals. Yeah. And he could fix things with the police and everything else yeah. like that. So. so that's the first time I saw that. Yeah. And I was like, that, in, when I look back, that enriched our experience totally. a lot. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, it's about the travel and the experiences that you're coming out with. Yeah, that's right. And they, they compound that. Yeah. You know, you're going to learn so much more, like, just riding around with a guy like that and he, being able to tell you everything. Yeah. And, and in the same way people think overlanding is this, uh, you have to be wild camping, you have to be off-road. There's also this kind of element of it, I feel, where people think that, they have to be leading it. They have to be in control. They have to be discovering. We found in our travels, some of the best trips, some of the best food we found, some of the, the best places we found, you know, they come from local knowledge and uh, it's important. There's a mind sh- mindset shift that I see between what we call domestic overlanding and international overlanding. Yeah. Domestic overlanding, we're really focused on our own journey, getting out, being our own little self-contained unit to escape. As soon as for me, you cross a border and now you are a guest yeah. in another country. The perspective of you having to do everything really does kind of go away. It's it's yeah. fun to be self-reliant. Yeah, yeah. But it's even more fun to have someone there to take you through things. And to experience the culture. To experience it. Yeah, yeah. kind of. That's a great way to look at it. In the, the desert southwest, we or in Baja probably even, mm-hmm. you're kind of escaping. 
to the wild places. Whereas when I'm in some new country, I want to try the food. I want to yeah. see the museums. Yeah. I want to meet the families. That's what Me I want to do. Yeah. So. Like first time I did Southern Africa, we were, you know, we were hell bent. We're not going to have a guide. We're going to do this ourselves. We're going to go find the animals. Yeah. yeah. Well, it turns that, out, yeah. it turns out if you don't speak Swahili and you can't be on that radio and listen to 12 other guys speaking Swahili, you're not going to see the animals. Yeah. yeah. It's you know, tough. like it's important. <laughs> I'll take note of that. Yeah. So not maybe learn Swahili in time. Yeah. Maybe yeah. these local trips are to escape and the international trips are to connect. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we can do when we, when we go to a new place, we could be the guest of that country and connect with those people. Yep. Mm. I like like that. I like all of that. I learned that lesson also in Russia because Russia was the first time that Scott had invited me to come film on the E7 section of of Russia. And so this was like my first big international travel trip. We're gone for three weeks crossing. Wow. You know, this is amazing. We stayed in people's houses Mm -hmm. and I remember the two, the two Andres in, uh, the pole of cold. Where yeah, is that's that, right. Uh, Tom Tor. Tom Tor. We were in this house and these two Russians were just at the dinner table where I'm sleeping on the floor like a little kid, you know, listening to grandpa and granddad talk in the kitchen kind of, yeah. you know, and they're over, you know, I don't know what they're saying. And they're sharing vodka together. Yeah. And then they went and they got knives and they traded knives at the table. And I'm yeah. just sitting there like watching this whole cultural experience happen. <laughs> and I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah, and you'd have like a tank in his in his in his there was yard. A tank in his yard. Yeah, <laughs> he was so proud of his tank. Yeah, just like the dude just had a tank. It's amazing. Yeah. A tracked tank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want more of that stuff. Yeah, you know. So yeah, Tanks, there's yeah, the remote too. things, and there's the camping and all that stuff. Those things yeah. that I look back and I'm very fond of in my memories. I think my favorite, one of my favorite things from that trip was you just seeing how insane the driving was. Like you having to recalibrate to like we have a good chance of dying. Yeah. Like you're in Russia, you're not going to, it's not going to be some bandito or whatever else. It is going to be that you are going to die on the highway. Yes. <laughs> like that's what the only thing in Russia that's going to kill you is some dude in a seven series going 160 kilometers an it's, hour. It so, was insane. Yeah, it was and I don't insane. think I've been anywhere since yeah. that is that insane. Of the top five times in all of my travels that I nearly died, three of them were in Russia. That's, so. a, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And Clay was in the car with me for several of them. Yeah. Well, remember the bridge where the yes. guy was passing on the bridge. Yes. Like, uh, I don't know how I didn't run into the guardrail. Or when we were coming around the corner, I'm drifting sideways. And then here comes an Audi drifting sideways the other way. The other way. And I did like this momentary <laughs> Scandinavian flick that like brought me around. Yeah. And Clay was like looking over at me, like, what I mean, just happened? You're just in the wrong side of the road in the wrong seat, you know. Yeah, you are. Right hand drive, and you're just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, you were staring at that at that car coming you at you. Sounds fun, but I might take the train. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's so. let's talk about what's next, Clay. We're super yeah. excited to hear about what's coming up. We just announced uh, for season six, we're heading to Southern Africa. So we'll be South Africa, Lesotho, Botswana, Namibia right mm-hmm. now. Uh, we might travel to other places. We'll just see. We kind of got to get boots on the ground there and just see how it all feels. Yeah. Swaziland will be another uh, one and to Swaziland. I would love to get there. I'll just, you know, send you some tracks on that. Love no, Knock out more countries if you can. Yeah, you know, sure. Just to even be there for a day or experience something for a little while. And they're different. They yeah. really are different. Namibia is so different from Swaziland. In both in super cool ways. Yeah, it's it's cool. I've only been to Uganda. Shelly has, my wife has been around Botswana and Zimbabwe and stuff. But uh, she was there with like Land Rover team and five years ago or something. Mm. But oh, with we the don't Hollands really, or something. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So we haven't really been here. Yeah. And this year we're taking my whole family. All my boys are going. 
That's awesome. Cyrus, my oldest, will be with me at least the entire time. But the other two boys, I don't know. I haven't decided. I kind of at this point, I'm like, let's all go for the whole time. Yeah. You know, it's only two months. Yep. Let's do it. Look at where they're going to be learning. Oh, like imagine? it's one thing to look at an elephant in a textbook. It's another thing to actually sit there and yeah. to come across an yeah. elephant. And I've never had these experiences yet. And I know you guys have, and I, I can see it in your eyes. Well, only like, a little to come bit across for me. An elephant. You're just like, oh, like I'm intimidated yeah. already. It's amazing. They are so big. They're so. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I can't wait. So yeah, we we will be traveling. We want to see animals, of course, but we want to get remote. We want to try to see far off places. I want to be off the grid as much as I can because that, that to me is the big adventure of it all. And there's plenty of opportunity for that. I've been reading the, or listening to The River of Doubt. Mm, I've heard of that book. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt's yep. epic voyage down the River of Doubt. And it's got me jonesing for a big adventure. So we'll see. Not too yeah, he big. almost he almost died on that one. Oh, very close. Yeah. And I don't and his wanna, son was want to epic that. Yeah. He basically was telling his son, you know, like this is how I want you to handle my body and everything else. Exactly. Was like, yeah. Cool, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, and he wasn't in great shape either. He yeah, was in super yeah. tough shape. Older, yeah, older in life. So anyway, I'm kind of so you're gonna start in South Africa. Feel I want to go hit up. You're yep. gonna start in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. What time of year do you think you're gonna be there? So we'll be there in a month and a half. So July oh. through. Oh, so you're leaving? Like, yeah. Oh, trucks have already yeah. shipped. Woohoo! Talked about there's a good chance we might have another podcast together in South Africa. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the fleet is our 2021 Tacoma. It's not the new Tacoma. I couldn't get it in time just due to manufacturing. And then our Tundra that we took to Norway and the new Sequoia. So we, we've got a hybrid on this trip. I'm really interested to in throw Sequoia. In the like, oh, I, be, I keep looking at them when I drive by the Toyota dealer on my way home, and I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. Yeah, the Sequoia has a like, lot it, of potential. It, it, has, mm-hmm. it has a bit of baggage kind of with like well, uh, the previous uh, generation thing. just wasn't a great car, but the yeah, new one is. The new the one, one looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I don't really know what the difference is between that uh, a Land Cruiser is anymore. I mean, yeah. you're talking same chassis. Same chassis. Just uh, a little longer. A little, yeah. Same, same componentry. So you could, you could almost argue that the only way, like, let's say a 200 series got better would be maybe a little bit more room inside. Because they're not that yeah. long, actually. They're no. wide. Only 112 inch wheelbase on this. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, these are pretty long. When you sit in a Sequoia and you look in the rearview mirror, it's like, whoa, the back glass is quite a ways back there. Because they're seven-seaters. It feels like a Suburban. Like, yeah. if you were to look in the back of Suburban, it's pretty big. The turning radius and stuff is reduced. I think that's probably it's one of its weaker area, areas. Now that we've lifted it and it's on 35-inch tires, stuff, the ground clearance and oh, all that. It's going to be so fine. good. It's oh, going to be, be so good. For it'll be trip. great for yeah. Africa. Yeah. So we... Uh, the smaller tank is what we're considering is probably our biggest weakness right now mm-hmm. because uh, as we've done short distance trips, as soon as you hit the interstate, you're not really in the hybrid. You're not utilizing hybrid. So yeah. now you're down to a 21-gallon tank and you're just burning up fuel. So we're carrying a fuel trailer due to recommendations. So we, we had to figure out a put way. put the trailer behind the Sequoia? Sequoia. Well, so there's an interesting upside to that. Mm-hmm. And this is where you can take advantage of that hybrid powertrain is that Anytime you're descending, you're regenning power back into the battery system for you to be then able to use it when you climb. Yeah. So hybrids or electric vehicles actually do very well off-road when there's, if you're on level ground with sand, bad news, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you're not getting any of the benefit. But if you're climbing and descending and climbing and descending, Mm -hmm. you're constantly regenning power back into the vehicle. 
that you can then use to make the next climb with. So you'll find that it actually does pretty well in those scenarios. Yeah. I'm really excited to figure out the fuel formula. Yeah. And like, how does this work? You know, where are the advantages and disadvantages of yeah. this? It's a massive experiment. Yeah, sure. Know? And it, which is fun. And you're just, other than the skeleton coast, you're just not going to have an infrastructure problem. There just isn't that much. And I think there's fuel in Movie Bay now. There's fuel. Yeah, unless you're just doing the really remote stuff, which, you know, that you probably need Mm -hmm. for 500 kilometer range, 600 kilometer range, maybe. How big is the tank? 21 gallons. 21 gallons. Oh, that's, that's. Paquito. Yeah, it's Paquito for a big truck. Yeah. So we built uh, an AT trailer. It had a trailer from Mario, one of the last chasers. Oh, man. Chasers are so hat. classic. Yeah, so. That's perfect. It nice was, and light. Yeah. We put, we ordered a, I think it was, yeah, from one of the truck surplus sites, we ordered a 100-gallon toolbox fuel tank. Oh, well, that's smart because then you don't Lifted have to carry all of these jerry cans and, and think yep. of all the mounts for all of those things. Yeah, and we, we learned these things in Greenland. You know, like, mm. oh, just pull up and fuel up. Yeah. You know, and yeah. instead of having to put all that weight across all the different trucks mm-hmm. and figure out those systems, we put one big tank, which it, your eggs are in one basket, so to speak, but no, it uh, should be fine. We should be fine. We beefed up the axles and we got extra hubs. We got extra shocks. Did We're you gonna, remove the lid then? So the lid has, in the top of the lid is a toolbox. So it doesn't look like a fuel tank. No, I mean the, oh, the lid of the trailer, the chaser, does it have its Yeah, but no. So this is just a flatbed version of it. Oh, 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 it's the now flat bed. Yeah. It's, I, yeah that's I the call one Mario. Wants. I want one so, so bad. I know. That everybody wants. I call Mario. the AT flatbed. Yeah. In the chaser. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's that many out there. There's anymore. not. There's not. I have like two friends that have them and I'm like, I know. you better let <laughs> yeah. me know when you, when you want to sell them. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. You haul your motorcycles, haul yeah. whatever you want. Go to Home Depot. Works for all that it stuff. It does it all. And it weighs yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah. They're really lightweight. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great choice. We kept it super light. It's under GVW for its weight ratings. And uh, put it, all put the it at the load. back of the, of the convoy because the one thing in Africa that gets you in trouble with the trailer, charging elephants. Gotcha. You so you can't back what? up. That's right. You cannot back up fast enough. Oh. So when they start trumpeting and charging, you know, keep some space and then allow those first two vehicles to give that animal the space that it yeah. needs. That's your buffer. That's right. So if you've got your trailer in the front and here comes the elephant out of the out of the tall grass staring you down on the road. You're just not going to be able to back up quickly enough. Yeah. And that's such a short wheelbase trailer. Yeah. You don't exactly. back that it, thing up fast. It's not fast. You just it's, don't back it up. You just yeah. make a U-turn. So yeah. and it's, you, <laughs> have to just, you really would just have yeah. to turn and burn. Which hopefully you'd be able to, right? So yeah, yeah just stick that, stick that trailer at the back. Yeah. Well, we wanted an adventure, and it sounds like we're going to get it. You're, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Africa is the place. Yeah. It is the place. It's, it's In like, my experiment. It's become kind of my new happy place. Everybody's got I mean, you own. can camp. You can stay in a five-star hotel anywhere. I mean, and you they just have, have so many entire, options. They make rosé there. Well, and it's South African, and it's so cheap. Yeah, exactly. On my honeymoon, they're handing me bottles of it. <laughs> yeah. Drinking rosé in the back of a safari car while looking at, like, leopards. Yeah. It's kind of straight amazing. out of the bottle. That was a great honeymoon. <laughs> I hope to be drinking a rosé looking out of the back of my car. In yeah. In Africa. Yeah. So we're excited. Well, that sounds fantastic. So you've got three vehicles going. You've got a trailer going. you got a seven-person crew with the opportunity to, to add some local guides along mm-hmm. to support, yeah. which I think will make a big difference. The one thing that I noticed with locals is that their, their vision is attuned to the animals. So like when we would go with Jess from Easy On mm. out on a safari, I would not I would not be seeing anything. Gotcha. And he'd be like, Oh, there's the leopard right underneath the the bush over there. 
and then he'd point and I'd be looking and look, and I have really good eyesight mm. and I'm looking and looking. And then finally it would whip a tail or something. And then I would see it, but he saw it just driving down the road. You know, the locals that get into the bush a lot are yeah. well, are well tuned to seeing the animals. Like you see a deer mm. or an elk because you're used to your environment. Like, you know, when the animal stands out, you've become attuned to it. Um, So the the locals really help for that. Sounds sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Well, what else is going on, Clay? You've got the the Overlander Network. Yeah. So this year. up and running. Yeah. We've kind of done some business restructuring with X-Overland. So we've had the Overlander Network. We've had the Overlander clothing line. We've had all kinds of different things that we were trying to do. And this year we just said, you know what? We're going to pull it all under one house, all one brand, manage one thing. So we pulled the network. It's now the, the X Overland network now and X Overland's website, X Overland Film Fest, all that's all under cool. one house. Nice. Uh, which when we did that, it was like a breath fresh air. Like, ah, okay. Yeah. We're focusing on one thing. We got it dialed. So that's the, kind of the big news. Uh, we're working hard on the network. I just saw that you just added a, 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 another series. Yeah, for we've travelers. Got, we got four, four, four new series uh, that we're working on right now. So we got uh, Dust of Glory. Mm-hmm. Richard and Ashley are out shooting cool. right now. They shoot. They produce a, an episode about once a month or so as they travel and do their yeah. thing. Uh, and then we've got a eight part cooking show coming out with uh, Gone Gone Durton called Gone Cooking. Cool. And yeah, uh, sweet, we're having fun. People. Yeah. And it's just trying to build the best high end content that we possibly can on the network because that's the place where it can get rewarded. Like yeah. building really high end content for YouTube. Ugh. It's, it's, it's painful. YouTube just it's seems painful. exhausting these it's days. Like, it is exhausting. It's, uh, we call it the hamster wheel. Yeah. You know, and you're, hamster you're always... Hamster wheel of death. Yeah. yeah, just chasing everything. And, and so really high-end quality stuff isn't rewarded. So we're trying to be that place and produce really good online content. But it's behind a paywall. Yeah. But that's how it gets done, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, you can't... It's not fair for people to expect you to do it for free because it costs yeah. a lot of money to produce high Well, I know I need to get my subscription. <laughs> so, we got all kinds of stuff going. We're, yeah. You, know, you guys have a great podcast. You guys are doing great yeah. on that. Oh, so thank you. Yeah, the podcast the X, too. Check out the Overland yeah. podcast as yeah. well. So, you guys yeah. are doing awesome work. It's always just such a pleasure to see you, Clay, and see your family and see how well you guys are doing. Thank so. you. Yeah, you too. You yeah. too. And I haven't seen you in a while, man. It's been too We've long. We've been chatting back and forth, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's good to sit down together. Yeah. yeah. Clay, anything else you want to share with the audience? Any any uh, updates you want to want to give us? No, we're just kind of cranking on, working yep. hard to build a, the best brand we possibly can. Thanks to everybody who watches our stuff, listens to our things, yep. and encourages us and gives us good feedback on stuff. I really appreciate that. Thanks for letting us do what we do, you know, and yeah, just very thankful for everybody out there listening. Yeah, well, we're thankful for you, Clay, and we're thankful for all of you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Next time.